Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, and we have come now to day 126, where we are taking a look at Exodus chapter 32. This is uh, the beginning of a, a dark section here where God's people rebel against God and against Moses in a very serious way, a way that will have serious consequences for them. Uh, Despite all they've seen, their hearts are still hard and they still rebel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reality of your word. It's not sugar-coated. It's not pie in the sky. It's not some idealistic and unrealistic sentimentalism. Your word is realistic. It's gritty. You take seriously the issues of sin and judgment. And we pray that you would help us to hear you today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned 
and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, Why, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about three thousand men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now we will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They made for themselves gods of gold. But now... If you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit... I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. It's Exodus chapter 32 in the English Standard Version. Boy, what an absolutely sobering and dark chapter in the history of God's people. And yet, how prone are our hearts to wander? I think whenever we approach a passage like this, we need to do so 
with a sense of awe and wonder and reverent fear at the holiness of God and the justice of God. And we also need to approach the people with humility because we need to ask ourselves, how many times have we taken good things that God has given us and we've used them to serve our selfish desires rather than the Lord? That is really the essence of what's happening here and the essence of idolatry. The gold that they had in their earrings and, you know, the gold that they were wearing was gold that God had moved the people of Egypt to give them. These were slaves. They came out of Egypt with nothing. God moved the hearts of the Egyptians to give this gold jewelry to his people as he was leading them out of Egypt. And the blessing that God gave them, they turned into an idol to worship and serve, to meet their own selfish desires for pleasure, for distraction, for entertainment, for sexual immorality. How many times have we taken good things that God has given us by his grace for his glory and for our good? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. Everything we have is a gift from God. We came into this world with nothing. We will go out of this world with nothing. In between, everything we've been given is a gift from God. And how often have we taken those good gifts and used them to serve ourselves, our selfish, sinful, foolish desires in idolatry? Because all sin is idolatry. This is just a, a rank and unavoidably obvious form of it, right? But all sin is idolatry. And where did this start with? It starts with, we don't know what's become of Moses. We feel insecure. We feel uncertain. We don't know what's happening. We are not in control. We can't predict the outcome. So make us something that's going to make it better. Aaron, make us something that's going to make it better so that we don't feel like fools, like we just came out here to the desert wilderness and we're standing at the foot of this mountain for who knows how long. We want something to make us feel better. Aaron creates this and he then lies later to Moses, of course, and says it just came out of the fire. But of course, we're told he fashioned it with a graving tool and he made a golden calf. Now the people were looking at this golden calf as a, as a false god. They were looking at it as make for us gods. Make us gods who will go before us. And they said, these are your gods. They said, not Aaron, but they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So whoever that they are, the leaders of the people, maybe the elders, might have been the 70 that, that you know, the men that, you know, Moses had set apart and who had even been up on the mountain with him and would have seen the glory of the Lord. It may have been those guys. We don't know for sure. We just, it's a they, right? Aaron sees this and he says, I gotta, I gotta pull something out of this because this is not good at all. This is, they're just going after false gods. I know we'll make this golden calf a symbol of the Lord. And so in verse 5, he says, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. He sets an altar in front of the golden calf and he says, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So what he's saying is the golden calf is an image of the Lord. While up on the mountain, God has just been telling Moses, you don't make any graven images of me. You don't bow down and serve any graven image of me. 
But Aaron is saying, this is the Lord. Later in Israel's history, hundreds of years later, Jeroboam is going to rebel and take the ten northern tribes of Israel away from the rule of the house of David. Solomon's son Rehoboam is a fool, and we'll get to all that when we get there. But Jeroboam's folly is that he makes two golden calves, and he sets them up in Bethel and in Dan, and he calls all of Israel to worship the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord through these golden calves. So there's this idea that in Israel's history, you know, the Lord, Yahweh, has been associated with this golden calf, but don't make graven images. We shouldn't worship God through pictures or statues or graven images. It's a violation of the second commandment. It's a serious violation. And it leads to gross immorality. So idolatry is sin, and idolatry often leads to gross immorality. Because they get up early the next day, they offer up burnt offerings, they bring peace offerings, and they sat down to eat and drink, gluttony, drunkenness, and they rose up to play. And to play is a euphemism for sexual immorality. It broke out into mass widespread, open, debauched sexual immorality. That's what's happening here. Idolatry and immorality of the rankest order. And God has had enough. Now here we see the covenant mediator dynamics at work. The people sin against God. They deserve God's justice. God's anger is kindled. God's wrath is aroused. And he's going to wipe them out. And Moses makes intercession. Now, we have to say that within the big picture, obviously God was not truly desiring to wipe out the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. That wasn't what he wanted to do. That wasn't his eternal decree. But it is what they deserved. And God needed to show them that that's what they deserved. That that's what justice would have demanded. So Moses makes intercession and he says, what are the nations going to say about your name if you do this? If you bring this disaster against your people, what will they say? Remember your covenant promises. This is always a good thing to do in intercessory prayer. Remember the covenant promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, you said to them, I will multiply your offspring and your stars as the stars of heaven and all the land I promised I'll give to your offspring. They shall inherit it forever. God, in light of his covenant promise, relents. God had ordained all of this. God ordains the means as well as the ends. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what he's going to do, and he knows how he's going to do it. That doesn't make Moses' intercession meaningless. It makes Moses' intercession possible and meaningful and substantial because it's part of God's plan. Our prayers are used by God to change the course of human events because that's what God has planned. You can say, well, didn't God plan for that all along? Yes, he planned for that all along, and he planned to do it through your prayers and through my prayers and through your sharing the gospel and my sharing the gospel and through the sending out of missionaries and planting of churches. God works through appointed means to accomplish his appointed ends. Moses comes down, and there's this justice that's put on uh, by the sons of Levi who come and stand on the Lord's side and they carry out this justice. And we cringe at scenes like this and we think, oh, that's so cruel and that's so mean that, that, that 
3,000 people would have to die when all they were doing was worshiping a golden calf and having a feast day and maybe a little bit of sexual immorality, but surely it doesn't deserve the death penalty. Oh, yes, it does deserve the death penalty. We don't take sin seriously enough. We don't understand. We don't understand. There are certain sins that get us riled up like that. Child sexual predators comes to mind, right? Child murderers, right? People who kill children or who abuse children or war criminals like what Putin is doing in Ukraine. Those kinds of things get us riled up, but we have to understand all sin in the sight of God is a thousand times more noxious in his sight than the grossest sin is in our eyes. So that level of righteous indignation and just anger that we feel when a child is sexually abused or, or physically beaten by someone who should be taking care of them or is killed or when innocent people in a war zone are being bombed and killed who have nothing to do with what's going on, that outrage that we feel is just a little hint of a shadow of the righteous indignation and the holy anger of God at all human sin. Because all human sin really is that vile. Yes, yours. Yes, mine. So we need to take it to heart. We need to realize, but for Christ and his intercession, but for Christ and the cross, but for the willingness of the Son of God to take the wrath of God on himself, this would be me. I would deserve this. And so the people are reminded. And God and Moses goes and again makes intercession. And especially here in verse 33 and 34, um, or sorry, in verse 32 and 33, we see Moses making intercession in a way that's very much a picture of Christ. Forgive their sin. If not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. This is one of the early references in scripture to the Lamb's Book of Life or the Book of Remembrance or the Book of the Redeemed. He says, if you're not going to forgive them, blot me out. Jesus was willing to be blotted out on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that our names could be written into the Lamb's Book of Life, which is why it is the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a great picture of Christ and his intercession. But still... Those who don't believe, I think it's what 33 means, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Those who don't believe, those who don't have faith, those who were numbered among God's people, but who don't truly have saving faith, they're not going to be in the eternal number of God's people. You see, there's a number of God's people in this world. We could call it the visible church or the church or the kingdom of God on earth or the people of God. And there's a number that's in there. But if you don't have true saving faith, if you don't really believe in the Lord, you've sinned, an unbelief, then your name is not in the eternal book, in the final Lamb's book of life. You're not in the final number of God's people. And so in that way, you're removed. Not that you lose your salvation. You never had it to begin with, even though you were numbered among God's people. That's the meaning of that. Um, and then there's a plague that comes as further consequence. Again, this is a hard chapter, but it shows us important things. It shows us God is holy, that sin is serious. That intercession is necessary and that forgiveness can be found through the covenant mediator, ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ, who takes the wrath of God on himself 
that we may receive his forgiveness instead. Let's pray. Father, help us to see and hate our sin. Lord Jesus, thank you for becoming sin for us on the cross. You died such a horrific death because we deserved it, because we had earned it, and you took it from us willingly. Holy Spirit, shape our hearts by your grace and your glory and your power that we might forsake idolatry, turn our backs on the world, and focus and be on the Lord's side. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me for Exodus 32 today. We are going to be going back to uh, Psalms and Proverbs the next couple of days. So Psalms 21 and 22 tomorrow, and then Proverbs 5 the day after that. So we're going to go to Psalms and Proverbs before we come back to Exodus 33. Hope you have a blessed day in the Lord. I hope you can join us tomorrow. Thank you.